It's Tuesday, May 5th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. International Week continues. Joining me in studio today from Fool Australia, Scott Phillips and Andrew Page. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you, Chris. G'day. G'day, g'day. Here at Market Foolery, we spare no expense. We flew you in just for this. Leaving just after the taping. No. <laughs> That's right. After this, straight to the airport. Back on the plane. Another 16 hours home. Just, yeah, just exactly. For no, no, of course that is not the case. First of all, because we don't have any budget here at Market Foolery uh, whatsoever. But uh, you guys were at the Berkshire Hathaway meeting. We'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about the investing scene in Australia. But, Scott, let's just start with the Berkshire Hathaway meeting. You and Andrew were there, along with other fools. Uh, this was this was not your first time there. I'm curious, just from an investing standpoint, what was your main takeaway? I know that one of the things that's getting a lot of headlines is IBM, which is one of Buffett's so-called Big Four, and he said he's he's buying more or he has recently bought more, uh, obviously showing his faith in IBM. But what what was your investing takeaway from the meeting. Chris, one of the really important things that Warren Buffett has talked about about Berkshire in the past, but has reiterated on the weekend, was that Berkshire, one of the most important words at Berkshire is the word culture. And it's a really important for us at The Motley Fool as well. We, we take exactly the same approach. When you think about Berkshire, you think about insurance conglomerates and IBM shares and other things, and, and it becomes very much a financial conversation. And it is, and, and the returns are spectacular. Uh, in a spreadsheet, the numbers just go off the charts. But Warren Buffett was very, very clear that the Berkshire culture is so inherent, so intrinsic to what they do and how they do it, and it's such an important component. So you're not buying just a collection of businesses, although you are. You're getting a fantastic culture, a wonderful business, and something that's going to endure past Warren and Charlie. That obviously is, you know, these guys are 84 and 91 respectively. This is going to be a continued question from shareholders. And Warren Buffett's point was very clear. This is the culture of the business. This is about how it's run, what it does, how it operates, the types of approaches their managers take. Um, the, the idea that is so self-sustaining and so deeply rooted in the company now that it will outlast Warren and Charlie. But broadly as well, you know, that is what drives the Berkshire operation is the culture of those businesses, the culture that they've spent literally half a century. This was the 50th anniversary of Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger taking over Berkshire. That culture was the, the really the key number one element to how they do business. I'm guessing that 50 years ago or 49 years ago at their first annual meeting, there was not 45,000 people descending upon Omaha, Nebraska for this meeting. But Andrew, it was your first time there. Mm. What stood out to you? Uh, the sheer scale of it was what definitely stood out. Um, you know, you hear about it. Scott was sort of briefing me on the plane as to what to expect. But when you get there, it's at a, a whole other level, you know. Um, so that that was definitely a thing. Um, we actually had the chance to to get quite close to Warren when he did his walk through the the, the floor there, and that was very exciting uh, as well. Um, but just I, I guess you know how uh, on top of their game these two are. I mean, Scott mentioned their their ages, um, but these guys are super sharp. Uh, they were on top of every question. Uh, they knew everything inside and out, and it was just a spectacle to behold. It was really really fascinating. Well, and obviously they're going to leave enormous shoes to fill when they're no longer with the company and yet to, and you sort of alluded to this Scott it really does seem like Buffett Charlie Munger too but definitely Warren Buffett is doing everything he can to lay the groundwork for 
what should be a pretty smooth transition to whoever their successors are. Yeah, that's right. And Charlie Munger, of course, in the last annual shareholder letter, dropped Greg Abel's name in a very pointed way. Which yeah. is, you know, for, for all of the questions about who will be the next CEO, Munger pretty much comes out and says, hey, I like Greg Abel. He's a good guy. He doesn't actually say he's going to be the next CEO, but pretty much, you know, that, that's, a, that's a nice head start. The great thing about Berkshire is a great collection of businesses, as I mentioned. Those businesses are self-sustaining. They're going to keep running. They're going to keep doing their own thing. Um, the investment team, Todd Todd Weschler, sorry, Todd Combs and Ted Weschler, very much in place, very much still getting you know, great jobs done, being handed larger and larger sums of money. It's just, hey, laying the groundwork for success post that period. And, of course, their larger utility businesses, Mid-American Energy, which is now called Berkshire Hathaway Energy, that business, you know, and, and the BNSF, the, the railroad, very high returns on capital so and, and high capital needs. So Buffett's pretty much created a system and a mechanism where the money's got to keep getting put back into the business. This is a situation where you know, it, it's created its own need for capital. Berkshire's got plenty of that and plenty of profits coming through the door. So it really, you know, the, the system is as, as self-sustaining as you can make it. Um, and again, that culture thing that overlays the whole lot is this is a business that is genuinely built to last. The operating businesses, you know, Buffett and Munger talk about, uh, you know, devolving responsibility to the point of abdication. You know, they don't run the businesses. Berkshire says to his managers, only call me if you've got a big capital decision to make. Other than that, run your own business. Call me. I'm always here, but I'm never going to call you and worry you. Um, this is a business that is li- literally a conglomerate of individual operating businesses that will continue long after both those gentlemen have gone. So from an investing standpoint, we see companies over time that get to the point where they are so large that it becomes more difficult for them to deliver any kind of of market-beating returns. Is Berkshire Hathaway immune to that simply because it's a conglomerate of businesses, or does this, you know, or is it not immune, or is it in the same position as Google, Apple, Microsoft, you know, IBM for that matter? Uh, I don't think so. They they actually um, touched on the fact that you know growth is going to be harder to maintain at this size and with the the amounts of cash that they've got to deploy. So um, they're going to you know it's it's. Buffett, you know, often talks about, you know, if he could start with the, the kind of money he had at the beginning, he could get much better returns than he could get today. So, but I mean, as Scott said, the way the business, the way that they've gone, the businesses that they're investing in, I think they've set it up in the right way. There's probably, um, you know, as as is well known, Berkshire has never paid a dividend. I wouldn't be surprised to see if they did start paying a dividend at some stage in the future when when they get to a point where they can't confidently reinvest those earnings at high rates of returns or at sufficiently high rates of returns. I wouldn't be surprised to actually see them start returning some cash to shareholders. Warren Buffett's funny, Chris. He's been saying for 20 years that future returns won't be as good as the past, and he still manages to get that's, that's spectacular true. returns. Yeah. Under promise and over-deliver. A lot of num- large numbers has to apply at some point, and mm. Berkshire's future returns will be on average less than their past returns. That's absolutely baked in. Um, I wouldn't bet against Warren Buffett for the next decade, quite honestly. He's going to find those opportunities. He's worked with 3G to buy to buy Heinz, and then for Heinz to buy Kraft. That's a playbook that's got miles to go, and this is that's a new leg for Berkshire. 3G Capital is the management Berkshire's never had. So in the past, Buffett's look, we want to buy businesses that have management in place. We can't supply it. Now, all of a sudden, that's changed. The rules have changed for Berkshire. They now can supply management. 3G are that management team. Buffett and Berkshire provide the cash. That opens up a massive new opportunity. They couldn't have taken Heinz or, or Kraft, not only for size reasons, but management reasons. They physically couldn't have taken those businesses over. Now, all of a sudden, they can. And that really is a new growth league that probably has a good decade or, or a dozen years to play out. All right, let's uh, move things down under. Uh, the Reserve Bank of Australia just cut its benchmark rate by a quarter percent. Interest rates now at a record low, I believe, 
is this is this a good thing for investors? It's a pretty much a, a half century, like speaking of fifty years of, of Berkshire. This is living memory type stuff. The lowest rates, you know, I know in the US they've been effectively zero for a long time, but Australian rates have tended to be higher than the US effectively right throughout time. And we've had a pretty good run, twenty odd, twenty five years without a recession in, the, in Australia, which is a nice position to be in. But this is now the RBA, the Reserve Bank of Australia, saying. We're not sure that the economy has enough steam to, to propel itself under its own weight anymore. We're going to have to put more money back in. We're going to have to make sure that this thing doesn't come to a, to a grinding halt. The big problem in Australia is is China fundamentally. Is can China continue to grow? What happens with iron ore prices? We've seen the iron ore price plunge, obviously, over, over recent times. Australia is very, very, very connected to China, very reliant on Chinese demand for our iron ore, but also the price of that iron ore. Right now, the question is, can the price rebound? Is there enough growth left? What happens to unemployment, to house prices? So the sorts of problems that you guys have been through and pretty much come out the back of in 2008-9, we're now looking down the barrel of, is there going to be more pain to come? Does the RBO need to cut rates harder to keep the economy simply moving in light of those risks come down the pike? Well, there's also another component to that that as well as in terms of the capital investment uh, sort of cycle. So as, as the mining boom scaled up, there was a lot of capital expenditure there and that's come off. And they've been trying to sort of pivot that into other areas of the economy and um, that's yet to be seen as to how well that will play out. So they're, they're in a fortunate position, at least where in, you know, inflation's um, well under control. Um, so this is, a, this is you know, one of the only tools they've got to, to use. But the danger is, and I think what people are really worried about, is the um, potential to overinflate asset prices, uh, shares, but in, in particular uh, property, which is you know, very high in Australia. I was going to say, how, you know, when I hear things like, we haven't had a recession in 25 years, speaking of the law of averages, so mm-hmm. we haven't had a recession in 25 years. The market is at a record high. Interest rates are at a record low. Housing is, if not overheated, certainly getting very warm. How nervous, I mean, you guys are talking to individual investors, you're in touch with them through the services, through Motley Fool Australia. Mm. Are people getting nervous? Not as nervous as they probably should be, or at least as, <laughs> as aware as they should be. The, the risk is really right now, things have been so good for so long. If anything, the Australian the Australian consumer, the Australian investor doesn't remember what the bad times are like. If you ha- 25 years of recession well, It's hard free, to remember, right? It's been if, a long time. If you're 40, 45, you haven't had one in your adult life. So to, to get through 20 years of an investing career or a work career and say, how bad is this? There are people in Australia complaining about how tough things are right now. Yes, it's, you know, GDP growth is below trend. Yes, unemployment might be on the way up slowly. But this is, this is good. This is not terrible. Now, there are possible things to come down the pike. But if you're already saying, Australia is terrible, things are bad, I, I keep telling our members and, and, and investors, look at the rest of the world. We are an economy that almost anybody would change places with, with the possible exception of the US right now. You guys have done a great job of coming back from the, the dark, dark days of, of the global recession. Um, but you know, as a result of that, Australians really, we feel pretty aggrieved as a general rule, and, and we have absolutely no reason to. And the risk is, if this is bad, what happens when it, when, you know, when it gets worse? And so I'm not saying people should be worried or fearful or doing anything differently. The Motley Fool is a long-term investing business. Our advice is keep investing. Just keep adding money to the market, find good value, buy great stocks. That advice is, is, is eternal. But be prepared for the times when, that, that are going to come when maybe it's a year out, maybe it's three years out, maybe it's seven years out. But at some point, we'll have another downturn and a proper one. Be mentally prepared. Have your temperament right. Get ready for those times so you can ride it out without making silly decisions. Yeah, I have to believe our colleague Joe Mager already has a list because he's a value guy. Oh, yeah. So I'm sure he already has his list of Australian stocks that maybe he is keeping his fingers crossed, take a sudden 15% hit so he can add to that position. Along those same lines, what, uh, and Andrew, I'll just start with you. 
What are, when you look out at the market, where do you find your eyes gravitating? Is there a particular industry? Are there companies that you're starting to kick the tires on? Well, it's definitely, I'll come at it from a different angle. There's definitely been areas which we've wanted to avoid and have very successfully avoided. So we talked about mining uh, as well. The, the tough thing about a lot of these macro issues, and funny, it was sort of touched on during the Berkshire meeting, is that you know the timing of these things is, you know, it's, it's impossible to predict. And you, you talk about, you know, whether Australians should be worried or not, record low interest rates, an overheated property market, record equity. This situation's actually been in play for a while now. So, you know, we could have had a conversation two years ago, we were sort of saying that, you know, things are starting to look a bit scary. And yet over that two years, the market since progressed to, to record highs. So I, I wouldn't try to time it, but we've we've long avoided things such as mining services companies. They had a really wonderful run for a long time. Um, and again, we couldn't time it, but it was always likely that there was going to, you know, be a point when things started to turn. And so by avoiding them, we actually did very well from a scorecard perspective, not so much by what we were invested in, although, of course, that's critical, but also what we didn't invest in. Um, so, and, and that still remains the case. So even though we've seen a lot of companies in that space take very considerable corrections, uh, we're still very wary of that. Um, and as Scott mentioned before, we're, we are long-term investors, so we're, we are absolutely looking for opportunity, but we're, we're looking for the same thing regardless of where we tend to be in the cycle. So, you know, companies with great earnings power, uh, Australians love their dividends. So, I mean, I, I run the dividend service there, so I'm particularly looking at companies, lots of free cash flow, reliable cash flows and um, cash flow. So, you're something. really rooting for Berkshire Hathaway to pay a dividend. Oh, it'd be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're not the only one, but yeah. you're on the list. Yeah, sure, for sure. Yeah, so those those kinds of companies, I mean, they are getting harder to find. They, they really are. So, um, you've... You, You've got to. You've always got to be fussy, but um, uh, you know, at, at this point in time, perhaps a little bit fussier. Scott, what about you? What are you watching as you look out there? Chris, I'm reminded of an article your own Morgan Housel wrote for Fool.com not long ago, saying um, this was never easy. And he talked about for six years of an article headlines in the paper saying, you know, the easy money's been made, <laughs> and that was 2009 on for Barrons, 2010 for Morningside, 2011 for Market Watch, and so on and so forth. It, it's almost the same. And Andrew kind of pointed it out, you know. The, the, the risks or the fears have been ever-present and will, will be ever-present. You could, you could have a similar article, which was, you know, the market's ready for a collapse. Um, and again, since 2009, double-dip recession, maybe things are overheated, prices are getting high. There are always risks in investing. There are always risks. Um, the opportunities we're looking for are company-specific more than more than macro. So the, the good tenants of investing remain quality businesses with excellent management, with you know sticky revenues, businesses where customers hang around, they don't leave, massive retention rates. Um, the sorts of businesses that keep making money, preferably through a cycle. So you don't want to be overexposed to recession, um, to companies that are going to suffer in a recession particularly. Um, so it's, it's, it's got to be that long-term investing approach of saying, where are we going? What you know? What sort of businesses do we want to be invested in? Um, we're avoiding macro themes pretty much across the board right now. We've got a combination of almost every type of business you can think of within Motley Fool Share Advisor that I run, um, just because we want to specifically have a have a you know the the best very best companies. There are some I wouldn't touch in the same industry as others that we've got on the scorecard happily, and it all comes down to finding those high quality businesses run by good managers with great economics. Um, it almost sounds boring, it almost sounds cliched, which ironically takes us back to Berkshire nicely, which is, you know, Warren Buffett has said every single year, this is, you know, it is simple, you know, it's, sorry, it's simple, but it's not easy. Um, in fact, they made the same point again on the weekend. This mm. is very much about just investing well, doing the same things over and over and over again. Don't look for the big winner. Don't look for the one out of the box. This is about just doing the right things over and over and over again, keeping your temperament in check, looking for great value, finding great attributes of those companies that you love, and just 
buying the shares and that's you know that's been the that's the Berkshire magic you know it's it's Buffett said again you know they've seen plenty of guys with IQs of 160 that they wouldn't trust to run you know businesses let alone let alone invest for them um, these are absolutely and undeniably smart guys but they're basically saying look and Buffett said before our advantage my advantage is temperament mm. um, not not smarts not expensive computers or wonderful you know flashy software programs it's just coming down to the basics that have been you know underpinning investment success for, for literally decades doing those things no matter what's going on but being careful don't overpay don't get caught up with your own excitement by the same token don't also freak out about the risks you could have said in 2009 there's a double dip recession coming and missed out on, on record highs in Australia record highs in the US um, the biggest mistake would have been to pull back too early and, and take your money off the table if you're looking for stock ideas from Australia, you can go to our website there, which is fool.com.au, and sign up for Take Stock, which is a free weekly email. It's called uh, Take Stock um, Ideas from these guys, Bruce Jackson and the whole team at Fool Australia. Just go to fool.com.au. Scott Phillips, Andrew Page. Always good to see you guys. Thanks for being here. Pleasure, Chris. Thanks a for having A real pleasure. Us. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.